Hey, what's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer. You're listening to or watching, as the case may be, Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28, Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Now, we're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. And today we're going to talk about using sugar sticks. And usually what, instead of saying sugar stick, which is admittingly a pejorative, uh, usually we say uh, using proof text. Now, you have to have a text that is a Bible verse. You have to have Bible teaching to support what you believe and your convictions. I believe things, I am convicted by things, and I have Bible to back them up. But does that mean that I have rightly divided the word of truth? 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15, Timothy, or Paul writes to Timothy, study or give diligence to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling aright the word of truth. If you take a verse out of its context and only focus on one verse, which sometimes one verse does not even contain a complete thought, and you make some theological claim about what God wants from humanity and negotiate from that one verse with God about how to be right with him, that will end, sadly, that will end in your downfall. Uh, God wants us to do and act a certain way. He has communicated. He's communicated clearly. And even in communication between two human beings, we understand that you don't take, ver- or you don't take uh, words, phrases, sentences out of their context. For instance, There's a comedian uh, that I watch called Steven Crowder. He has a show called Louder with Crowder. And his big thing is when he says stuff that's highly sarcastic, that's hyperbolic, that's over the top, his rule is that you need to present these things in such a way that if somebody who is antagonistic to you clips your phrase or your statement, that if someone goes to the source material and they rewind a video 30 seconds or they fast forward or listen for 30 seconds, you know, before or after what was said that is seemingly damning, that they will get the context. Uh, people did this to Donald Trump over the, uh, the statues where there were some white supremacists that were really causing some trouble. And what Donald Trump said is there were good people on both sides of this issue. And the liberal left jumped on him and said, well, you're saying that there's good white supremacists. All you have to do is go to the record of where Donald Trump was speaking, and you need to listen for about 30 seconds in either direction. And he outright, explicitly, without, without contestation, condemns white supremacists. The context is he was talking about 
good people on both sides. There are good people that think we ought to tear these statues down. There are good people who think we ought to leave them up. But there are no good white supremacists. That's what Donald Trump said. It doesn't matter whether you like him or not. It doesn't matter whether you support him or not. It doesn't even matter whether or not he's a good man, which I don't think he is. You cannot, in all honesty, say that he supported white supremacists. Now, what's that got to do with the Bible? Well, I recently shared, um, I recently shared a video on the Christianity Now Facebook page, which incidentally, if you're not a follower of the Christianity Now Facebook page, I would love for you to uh, go and do that. Uh, let me see here. I've got, well, there's no comments here. Why can't I see the comments on my Christianity Now Facebook page? Um, Anyway, this, this guy had a video, and he's, he's got the camera pointed at, at an open Bible, and he goes first to John 3.16, and I'll, I'll flip over there. I don't, have to, I don't have to read John 3.16. I can quote it just like everybody can. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And he made the point that a lot of people teach, hey, all you have to do is believe. And I suppose, you know, if, if you want to have a good definition of terms uh, and we want to really define what it means to believe, that's a true statement. I mean, if the Bible says it, it's true. I don't argue with it. I don't, I don't have any problem with it. I don't have any problem with somebody quoting John 3.16 and, and not having any other commentary about that. But in the comment section, uh, there was a person who shared a picture of their Bible. And one, let me see if I can open this up where I can read it. Uh, woe to the scribes and Pharisees, but woe to you scribes and Pharisees hypocrites because you shut the kingdom of heaven against men for you yourselves do not go in nor do you allow those going in to enter woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites because you devour the houses of widows praying long prayers for this you shall receive a greater judgment woe to you scribes and pharisees hypocrites because you traverse sea and land to make one convert and when he has become one you make him twofold more a son of hell than yourselves and I'm like, why would you why would you put that there? Why would you share that verse? What does that verse have to do with what this guy in the video is teaching? Because he he goes to John 3.16 and makes the point. If you just read John 3.16, you'll think, well, all I have to do is believe and I'll be saved. But then he keeps on going and he goes to John chapter 3, verse 36. And keep in mind, he's reading either from the English Standard Version or the um New American Standard, a more modern translation, and the word that the translators translated is obey. And I'll read from the American Standard 1901. He that believeth on the Son hath eternal life, but he that obeyeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth in him. So when I look at John 3.16 and I compare and I, I look at the entirety of that chapter, and look at John 3.36, both are right out of the mouth of Jesus, right out of the mouth, rather, of Jesus, then I've got an issue with this idea of belief only saves me, all right? Now, something, well, we're, I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about 
we're going to put this even deeper into its context because the King James and the New King James does not translate this Greek word obeyeth or obey in John chapter 3, verse 36. The King James says obeyeth, and the New King James says obeys, and some other translations even translate it as obey. But we're going to look at the Greek word, and we're going to, we're going to see if we can define what believes means in that context. All right? So why would you, if all a person is doing is saying, look, this verse seemingly teaches that all you have to do is believe, but there's a verse here that clearly states that there's an, an aspect of obedience that upon which your salvation is contingent, all right? And so this person shares this verse about Pharisees. Is this person saying that we're Pharisees? Is this person saying that when we convert somebody, make a proselyte, do we, a proselyte rather, uh, do, we, do we convert them to being children of hell? I don't know. The same person um, uh, shares this verse as well. Um, I will be their God and, and I will give them one heart and mind to worship me forever for their own good and for the good of all their descendants. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them, promising never again to desert them, but only to do them good. I will put a desire in their hearts to worship me and they shall never leave me. I will rejoice to do them good, and I will replant them in this land with great joy. Just as I have sent all these terrors and evils upon them, so will I do all the good that I have promised them. This is from the Old Covenant, and it is talking about the difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and just because the children of Israel had been hauled off into captivity, was going to be hauled off into captivity, that they will be replanted in the land. God has not left them. God has not forsaken them. God is currently punishing them. And this, is, this has been fulfilled, and this new covenant has now come about, the covenant where Christ is sitting on the throne of David and where Christ rules the kingdom of God. But what is this person trying to say? You see, the problem with sugar sticks the problem with proof texting is you take one verse to develop this, this abstract and deep theological uh, idea, and you use it to negotiate with God, but you're not negotiating from a full picture. And if you proof text, if you use a sugar stick, you're going to be pitting verses of the Bible against each other. And it is kind of verboten to talk about this nowadays, but there, there is this idea that, well, there's this idea called univocality. That's one voice. Then, and then really and truly, my, my paradigm, my conviction is that from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible speaks with one voice. No verse will ever contradict another verse. If you have a verse that seemingly teaches one thing in one area and a verse that teach, seemingly teaches something opposite in the other, that my, my understanding and my conviction is you have misunderstood or I have misunderstood 
one or both of those passages of Scripture. So we need to look deeper into the context and into the meaning. So, for instance, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. All I have to do is believe, right? Well, James chapter 2, do you not know, O man, faith without works is dead being alone? You believe, well, you're no better than Satan and his angels because they believe and they tremble. That's the idea there. So if I just read the book of James, I might, pay, I might place an undue emphasis on works. And if I just read John 3.16, I'll place an undue emphasis on belief. So how in the world do I reconcile these things? Incidentally, a sugar stick is a, uh, back in the day, you could buy, uh, literally, you could buy sugar sticks. It's called rock candy. And it's a stick, and you would it would you would coat it, and it would crystallize. And you had a stick with with crystal sugar on it, and the kids would eat it. It's like the precursor to lollipops. Um, and back whenever I was a child, you could still get them in places, um, but they they weren't substantive. They didn't last very long uh, because one, you you start licking on them, and they just melt away. Well, that's, that's kind of taking a verse out of its context. Jonathan Exum has a good comment here. Any verse taken out of context becomes a pretext. And you know what? Let's, um, let me go to my Oxford English Dictionary, and let's look up the word pretext. Let's see, because I, I, I want to get a pre-t-e-x-t. Pretext, a reason given in justification of a course of action that is not the real reason. So if all you read is John 3.16, you're going to say, hey, I'm saved. I have eternal life. That's my justification. The problem is that's not the real reason. The real reason is that you have obeyed the gospel. All right? You have obeyed the gospel. I think of... uh, Second Thessalonians, uh, hold on. Well, y'all, I've lost my mind here. I think it's the Second Thessalonians one eight. Yeah, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on all those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well. What's the general principle that we can pull from that? When Jesus returns, he's going to take vengeance on two classes of people, those that don't know God and those who haven't obeyed the gospel. I put forth to you that this is just a, a way of saying the same class of people because if, you, if you've never obeyed the gospel, you might have a cursory knowledge of who God is but you don't really know God, and you're not known of him. Knowing in Scripture is a metonym for fellowship. You're not in fellowship with God if you've never obeyed the gospel. You know what that means? You can believe that Jesus is the Son of God, but if you never obey the gospel, God doesn't know you and you don't know him. You're not in fellowship with one another. Your sins haven't been forgiven. You don't have the eternal life. 
um, you, so let's go down here. Um, I think I'm done with this part about the pitting one verse against another. Let's, because I, I was surprised at this. Let's, let's go to back to the New King James. Um, John chapter 3, verse 36 in the New King James reads thusly, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, if I go to my trusty, rusty e-sword, uh, for those of you that don't know, and I've, I've picked up some new listeners as of late, uh, eSword is a, an, an application that you can purchase where you can easily search the original language and compare the original language with the English translations. I'm not saying that you have to do that in order to understand what the Bible teaches, and I think we're going to show that here in a moment. I'm going to tell you what this word is in the Greek, then I'm going to show you how that if you look at the preponderance of evidence and what is being taught in the book of John by Jesus himself, that you can define properly what this word is, whether it's believe or obey, and you do not need the Greek language whatsoever. If anybody tells you that you need the Greek language in order to understand a passage of Scripture to its fullness, you need to run backwards from them as fast as you can. Does that mean that we don't need to study the Greek language? Well, God forbid. But, you know, knowledge is power, okay? But you don't need it. You can trust your English Bible. So, um, he that believeth on the Son of God hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son uh, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. This word believeth in the King James, or believe in the New King James, is translated six times believed, Four times is translated disobedient. Three times is translated obey. One time in the King James is translated believe. One time here in John 3.36 is translated believeth. And one time is translated unbelieving. So let's see what this says. Mounts, uh, a lexicographer, these, the Mount Strong and Thayer is who we're going to look at. Three different lexicons. To be uncompliant is what this word means. To be uncompliant. To refuse belief. Disbelief. To refuse belief and obedience. Incidentally, that's Romans 10, 21. Uh, but, to the, but to Israel, he saith, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. Romans 10, verse 21. Well, that's the word used here in John 3, 36. Disobedient, all right? He that believeth not, believeth. All right, so anyway, um, to refuse conformity, all right? So here, oops, here in, in, jo, in, in uh, Strong's, to disbelieve willfully and perversely, not believe disobedient, obey not, unbelieving, all right? Thayer defines it not to allow oneself to be persuaded, to refuse or withhold belief, to refuse belief and obedience, not to comply with, and it's a verb, by the way, 
and it is from um a re- the 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 a is a negative part is a negative particle so the root word here or the stem is um well i don't pronounce greek words very well i believe it's pytho and the word pytho is to be persuaded to obey to listen to yield to comply with I'm not going to read all of that, but the idea is in, in built into this word, a pytho is not just a mental assent, not just a mental acknowledgement of something, but a mental acknowledgement along with the action. So belief is is a good is a good way to translate it. A more perfect way to translate it would also be um, obey or disobey or what have you. Anyway, um, any the well, obey not actually would be. Let me let me go in here. Um, yeah, but he that believeth not the Son of God. Um, if you resist believing on the Son of God, all right now. Do you have to have a knowledge of the Greek language to come to this conclusion? Well, the answer is no. Why is that? Well, remember, he who believes in the Son of God has everlasting life, but he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Let's lick our finger and turn right. Let's go to John chapter 6, 29, verse 29. Listen, I'm going to read verse 25. And when they found him, Jesus, on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say unto you, you seek me not because you seek me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for food which perishes, but for food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has sent his seal on him. Then they said to him, because they want this everlasting life, right? Then they said to him, what shall we do? What shall we do that we may work the works of God? Now, you've got to understand from where they're coming. They were under the Jewish system, the the Mosaic system, under the Aaronic, not Ironic, but Aaronic priesthood. And there were works to do. You had things you were supposed to do. And they understood that if you were a, a faithful child of God, you had to do the will of the Father. In fact, Jonathan, Jonathan put Matthew 7, 21 through 23 where Jesus says, not everybody that says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, but those who do the will of the Father which is in heaven. Those that just say to me, Lord, Lord, we've cast out demons. We've done many wonderful works. And if they haven't done the will of the Father, he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you, you workers of iniquity. Go read that. Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23 there. But, so they, they, they understood. They said, what, what do we have to do in order to do the will of God? And Jesus said, here's what you need to focus on. Now, that's not the words that he used. But listen, verse 29, Jesus answered and said, this is the work of God, that you believe 
in him whom he sent. Now, that doesn't, I'm going to keep hitting this mic, sorry. That doesn't absolve them of their need to bring their sacrifices to the temple. That doesn't absolve them of their need to follow the commands in the Pentateuch. That doesn't absolve them of coming to the three feasts every year. That doesn't absolve them of the tithes. But they were supposedly already doing that. And this is what you're supposed to do. Because remember, Jesus' message is, on earth, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. All right. So repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, what are we to do? So if you repent, and in fact, we might as well, we might as well read the verse. It's Acts chapter 26, verse 20. This is a formula for biblical repentance that makes you right with God. Acts 26, verse 20. Actually, I'm going to read 19 and 20. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles that they should repent. Step number one, repent. Turn to God and bring forth fruit, meat for... (coughs) Pardon me that they should bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. Fruit, do works commensurate with the change of mind. So a repentance is just a change of mind. So you got to change your mind, you got to turn to God, and you got to do the works. In John chapter 6, Jesus is saying, look, you want to have eternal life. And and they replied, well, tell us what we got to do. Right now, what you got to focus on is believing whom the Father hath sent. Now, let's go back to John 3.36. He that believeth on the Son of God hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son of God shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The idea is this. There is a work that you are supposed to do O man, O Hebrew, O O Israelite, if you are disobedient, the wrath of God abides in you. Well, what is it? What, what, what is the thing that I'm supposed to do that moves me from the realm of obedient or disobedient to obedient? You got to believe Jesus is who he says he is. That's your work. That's what John, that's what that's what John recorded in John 6, 29. So I don't need the Greek language. To be able to go to John 3, 36 and understand what this belief is if I'm reading the King James or the New King James. I rather like the American Standard 1901 and some of the more modern translations that translate it obey. Because that's pretty simple. But, you know, if, 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 you, if you don't believe or if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you have everlasting life. But if you don't obey him, you don't. And the wrath of God abides on you. So what's the conclusion here? The conclusion is, I've got to do more than simply believe, give a mental assent that Jesus is the Son of God. And I don't need the Greek language to understand that. I don't need a Bible scholar. I just need to read the text and understand the univocality of of Scripture. That if one part tells me I've got to obey and the other part tells me I have to believe, 
that I need to understand what constitutes saving faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. Ephesians chapter 2. What is faith? Well, I don't want to, we're already 30 minutes in. I don't want to start another podcast right now. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. Well, that's Hebrews chapter 6, or or chapter 11, rather, uh, verse 6. Let's go read it. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So if you don't diligently seek God, you're not going to be rewarded. If you don't believe God exists, you're not going to be rewarded. But what is faith? Well, go back up to verse 1. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You say you believe in God. You say you believe in Jesus. All right. How can you prove that? I can't see into your brain and see how your neurons are firing. Because that's metaphysical. But you know what I can see? I can see you get up and come forward and say, listen, I want to obey the gospel because I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I can see the action you take based on what you believe. So that's what faith is, folks. It's the evidence, it's a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You have to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and then you have to take action based on that belief. And that, my friends, is faith. And that's simply the point of the the, the short video that was shared on Christianity Now. Why in the world would you go to other passages of Scripture and take verses out of their context to try to argue against that very simple and easily understood principle? God wants you to have a relationship with him. God is the creator of the heaven and the earth and all things therein. We don't have a right to dictate those terms. He has a right to dictate those terms. And he says that if you want to be pleasing to me, you have to believe and take action based on that belief. And I have outlined the action. I've told you what action. And we might talk about that in another podcast. So thank you so much. Very good comments from John Exum. Thank you so much. And uh, that's all I've got here, folks. This has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. Please consider following the Christianity Now Facebook page and follow the Cogitations Facebook page. Be the algorithm for us. Share this content with your friends. Invite your friends. And that's all I've got here. This has been Tony Brewer with Cogitations. And we'll catch you on the flip side.